Fred Hudson's going to be able to say something to me and, and genuinely mean it tonight. Because a lot of times uh, he'll greet me after services and he'll say, uh, great, great lesson on sin, preacher. And he's quoting Barney Fife. I think uh, Barney fell asleep during the church service sometime and, and uh, had no idea what the preacher preached about. And so that was Barney's comment to the preacher when he left. Uh, great sermon on sin, preacher. Well, I want to speak about sin tonight. For years, I've, I've heard of this list, seven, the seven deadly sins. And I did some research on, on how that list of seven deadly sins came about. And want to examine each of these with you over the next few Sunday, Sunday nights. During the second half of the fourth century... A monk by the name of Evagrius moved away from the city to live in the desert. His motive was to escape all trappings of modern society. Now, this was in the 4th century. And his goal was to rid himself of all the influences that pulled him away from the life that Christ, Christ desired for him to live. Do you know what he discovered in the desert? The very same trappings, the very same temptations, the same weaknesses that had vexed him in the city also vexed him in the desert. Well, Evagrius came up with a list. He wrote down some of his common struggles and things that that he shared, that he struggled with all too often. And there were eight of these things that he listed. Eight temptations, eight attitudes, eight behaviors or things that uh, would lead to behavior that seem to repeat themselves more than others. So eight evil thoughts or eight terrible temptations from which all sinful behavior springs, he says. He stated the first thought of all is that of love of self. Then after that, the eight. And here are the eight things that he listed. The eight patterns of all evil thought are gluttony, greed, sloth, sorrow, lust, vain anger, vainglory, and pride. And so he circulated this list, uh, shared it with other monks who confessed that they too shared many of the same temptations. And over time, this list was copied and shared with many, many others. In fact, according to what I've read, by the 6th century... Pope Gregory I had received a copy of these eight sins listed by Evagrius. He tweaked the list a little bit, combined two of the sins into one, and refined the list to seven, hence the seven deadly sins. And he listed them in order of least threatening or deadly to the most deadly. And here's the list. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Those are what have been called through the years the seven deadly sins. None of these sins simply exist in and of themselves. Like most sins, each of these is a distortion or a twisting of some good thing, and we'll be looking at that as we explore these. In other words, these sins don't just show up. They, they can sneak up on us. They have potential, however, to eat away at our lives until there's very le little left of that which matters most in our lives. Our relationship with God, 
our relationship with others, even peace within ourselves. So as a, using the traditional list as a springboard, I want to consider the destructive power of sin in our lives, but also how Jesus offers the only true way out of it, the, the, to, to be forgiven, to be renewed, to be free from these things. And out of that list of seven, I want to begin with sloth, sloth. And I have, and I'm not going to go through all of these, but I was just curious as to sloth and its related ideas of being a sluggard. We read about that, particularly in the book of Proverbs, idleness, laziness. And I have four pages of passages that relate to those, that very theme. So first of all, consider the sin of slothfulness. In modern vernacular, that would be laziness. And many wouldn't say that was a sin. They didn't know laziness is a sin. And, and we make jokes about it. And we recognize it as a common human fault. But I want us to see what the scriptures, several scriptures say to this idea. M. Scott Peck, a social scientist of years gone by, wrote that he says laziness is a major cause of evil. It's a primary cause of psychological illness. He says it's the main reason Americans are failing at human relations. So he doesn't, he didn't dismiss it as something that wasn't important. But again, the main reason Americans are failing at human relations. It seems harmless, so innocent, yet its venom is more deadly to us than the most hideous of sins. Here are some passages that speak to this sin of slothfulness. I went past the field of a sluggard, a lazy man, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Another, some more Proverbs. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. And this was just comical to me. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Now that's laziness, isn't it? Proverbs twenty one twenty five: the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. And one more, Proverbs 26, 16, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And what I thought of immediately is how someone who is lazy, a slothful person, would give excuses as to why he couldn't do something. In fact, the Proverbs in 22.13 and 26.13 say the, the, the sluggard or the lazy man cries out, there's a lion in the streets. And the, the idea is that's why he can't go outside and work because there's a lion in the streets. Alan Isbell, a gospel preacher, again deceased now, 
define sluggard with these words. The sluggard is the loitering, sluggish man. He lacks sense and decision of mind. He is stupid. And again, in my family, we said that was an ugly word. But he's using it to describe a term that's ugly in defining sluggard. So that's some of what the Bible says about the sinfulness of this one of the seven deadly sins. But notice, secondly, the sorrow that it brings. And this is where it should really, really impress us as to why this needs to be identified. The sorrow that it brings, number one, it prevents us from being loving. You see, love requires commitment and work. In our relationships, we can't put them on automatic pilot. Relationships require diligent effort and time. And lazy people think love is just something that happens, something that we fall into like like an accident. But that's not what the Bible says about, about love. Love is an art that requires discipline and hard work. Notice the marriage relationship. Marriages fail when people do not work hard enough to create love and build the relationship. And people will come up with all kinds of excuses as to why their marriages aren't working. But so many times it boils down to this very fact, this idea of slothfulness, of laziness. That they're not willing to do what's necessary to make their relationship work. Sadly, I read about a man who had become preoccupied with sports. He became so obsessed with sports, his wife just gave up and and left him. And he went to see a counselor and asked, is there anything that I can do to get her back? And the counselor responded, well, yes, there is. You can change. You can change your priorities. Give more time and effort to your relationship with God, number one, but also to your, your relationship with your spouse. Make it a priority. And it's going to require some changes on your part. And the man said, I've thought of all that, but to tell you the truth, I don't think it's worth the effort. I want her back, but not that much. That's a sad, sad commentary But it reflects this idea of of sloth, of laziness, and how that that has implications and impacts on our relationships. Not just the marriage relationship, but any relationship. Parent-child, friend-to-friend, brother and sister in Christ. Every relationship. And what we see in the scripture is that love is always willed. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5, 25. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's a command. And you can't command someone's feelings, but you can command someone's will. And so when Paul gives this command, he's saying you've got to will. You've got to demonstrate that love. Love is something that we do. So we must behave lovingly toward our spouses. We must behave lovingly toward our children, our parents, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love is what one will do to make the other person happy and fulfilled. And it must be expressed in words and deeds if it's to to be vitalized and, and to grow. Isn't that what 1 John 3.18 has said? 
all along. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And again, it applies to every relationship. Every relationship requires an investment of time and energy. And so if we're slothful, if we're lazy in our relationships, this prevents them, prevents us from demonstrating the love that's so necessary. How else does slothfulness, laziness impact us? It prevents some from becoming Christians and serving as Christians. Slothfulness prevents some from becoming Christians in that they realize that if they become Christians, there are some changes they're going to need to make. They're going to have to turn from some things in order to follow Christ. They'll have to change their priorities and and their actions. And some aren't ready to do that. Perhaps even laziness deters them. I think about Agrippa, who said to Paul, after Paul had taught him, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Notice Paul's response. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also to all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether. I love that. Might become almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. I wish that you'd become altogether a Christian, not almost persuaded. But here's Agrippa. Perhaps a demonstration of a slothfulness, of laziness, and not wanting to to make that commitment, not wanting to make the needed changes. But it reminds us of someone who might say, well, one day, one day I'll become a Christian. One day I'll... I'll respond and, and be baptized into Christ and begin walking with Him. But just as we never read of Agrippa making that decision, even so, a person can wait too long. So slothfulness can prevent some from becoming Christians. It can even prevent some Christians from serving faithfully Because they don't want to expend the effort to do what they know that they need to do. But throughout the scriptures, we find these admonitions to do what we've been created to do. Ephesians 2. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we've been saved. That's why we've been recreated in Christ Jesus to this end for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that's God's design for the child of God to to continue to do good works. But some this idea of slothfulness and laziness will keep some from doing those things. So we come to face to face with 1 Corinthians 15, 58. My beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I think a major lesson we learn from Scripture when we study this, this sin is that slothfulness prevents us from helping ourselves. 
In this long list of passages that have to do with sloth and being a sluggard and lazy and idle, almost all of them speak to the misery that we bring upon ourselves when we engage in this sin. We're the ones who suffer when we are slothful. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So the, the wise man says, look at the ant. How busy they are preparing for the future. You sluggard, you need to learn from the ant, he's saying. And because if we don't learn and we fold our hands and rest, so poverty will come upon us. We'll suffer because of it. We'll, our need will come upon us like an armed man. Proverbs 10 verse 4. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Yes, it's a proverb. It's a general truth. There are many who work hard and still are not wealthy as far as financially. And there are some who may be lazy that may be very wealthy. Maybe they were just given their wealth. But generally speaking, it is true that laziness will just make us poor. Diligent hands bring wealth. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs 12, 24. I love Ecclesiastes 10, verse 18. And I shared it with my brother-in-law this afternoon. He's a roofer. <laughs> because of laziness, the building decays. And, though, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. I imagine roofers would love to share that verse with those that they want to put roofs on their houses for. But we don't address a matter that needs attention. We put it off. We're slothful. And it just gets worse. Isn't that the idea? Slothfulness prevents us from helping ourselves. It rather causes more problems for us. Consider this also. Slothfulness prevents us from having joy. Why? Because it brings misery. And it doesn't help us to realize that true joy comes from serving others. I read about a woman who lacked any semblance of joy in her life. She was seeing a Christian psychotherapist and one morning her car wouldn't start. And so she called the preacher to see if he could come by and, and take her to see her counselor. And he said, yes, I can do that, but I need to stop by the hospital on the way and make some visits. And when, when, they, when they stopped at the hospital, she got out and made some visits as well. And when she later arrived at the counselor's office, she was elated. She told him how she had not felt this well in months, that just visiting those people who had greater problems than she just helped her so much. And the, the counselor said, well, good. Now we know what it takes to make you happy. And she said, well, you don't expect me to do that every day, do you? She knew what to do to experience joy. But she was too lazy to do it. 
I love this statement by James Stalker. The secret of spiritual health and happiness is to be engaged in doing good. That's the great secret of health and happiness to be engaged in doing good. You remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But you see, slothfulness works against this. Slothfulness causes us to say, well, I'll, I'll do that later. or I'll, I'll just let this opportunity to do good pass by. And we don't experience the joy that we can by doing those good things. What's the solution for slothfulness? We need to wake up. We need to wake up. Ephesians 5.14, therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We need to wake up. Well, how do we wake up a slothful person even more? How do we rouse ourselves from slothfulness? Well, it can be a painful process. First, we must get our attention. There's a man who told a friend that he never had to raise his voice to his mule. That he just speaks softly to his mule and that mule would do everything he wanted him to do. Well, his friend didn't believe it and so they, they set up a time where they would, his friend could see him in action. And so he hitched up the, the mule to the plow and then quietly began to give the mule commands and the mule didn't respond. The mule just stood there and his friend is just cackling with laughter. And finally, the man who owned the mule reached down and picked up a tuba four and hit the mule right between the ears. And he said to his friend, you've got to get his attention first and then he'll obey. Well, to wake up, it may be a painful process. It's going to require some changes on our part. But perhaps one of the greatest things to cause us to wake up about the danger of this slothfulness is to realize the misery that it can bring into our lives. And consider this passage in Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the talents. The parable where the master gives three of his servants some talents, a sum of money. And he goes away and he comes back and, and each of them is, is made to give an accounting. And you remember the servants who were, the servant who was given five talents and another two talents, they, while their master was away, went and doubled their talents. And so when they gave an accounting, the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But you'll remember that the servant who was given one talent had dug a hole and hid his master's money. And when, his, when the master returned, he... Uh, gave that talent back to him. I want you to notice what is said here. Matthew 25, I want to begin reading with verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. 
You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And notice this, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That ought to get our attention. It ought to wake us up to the opportunities that the Lord has given us. To use the blessings that he's given us. In service to him by serving others. We need to wake up. And we need to make up our minds. A slothful person must make up his mind to begin living the Christian life today. You see, procrastination is the thief of time. I found this poem. He slept beneath the moon. He basked beneath the sun. He lived a life of going to do and died with nothing done. We need to make up our minds to make the changes that we need to make. The slothful man needs to repent in a word. Revelation 3 verse 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And I read a statement about that passage that I had not considered before. That the last word our Lord said to the church was repent. The last word. The Lord said to the church was repent. We need to wake up. We need to make up our minds and make the changes that God wants us to make. What does the Bible say to the slothful person? You need to wake up to the responsibilities that you have to yourself. You need to wake up to the responsibilities that you have toward others. And wake up to the The responsibilities that you have toward God. But again, seven deadly sins that can lead to to other sins. Perhaps it's at the root of many other sins. But as we study these and even look into the mirror and see some things in our own lives, that should drive us to two things. To repent, but also to look to the Savior for forgiveness. Because it's for that very reason, this struggle that we have with sin, that Jesus died on the cross so that we might have forgiveness. It may be that tonight someone or some ones have been considering, one day I'll obey the gospel. Don't let this opportunity pass by. If you're ready to respond in obedience to the gospel of Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, why not now? If you need the prayers of the church for some struggle that you're having, why not ask now? We'd love to pray with you and for you. If you need to respond, please come right now as we stand and sing.